Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse Press Pass, your one-stop shop for cons, live events, conferences, semi-live events, whatever's going on that we have access to, we are going to share with you. And for today's edition, I will be co-hosting with Adam and Devin from the Great American Scream. Hello, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us on. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time. The reason I have these two almanacs of of knowledge online with me today (laughs) is that this weekend I am going to be attending the Houston Horror Film Fest, the first live event that I could find in my area to attend. And since horror is sort of on the, I'll say the periphery of the areas (laughs) that Uh I'm interested in covering, and plus they'll have personalities there, I thought, you know, let's go do this thing. It's really exciting. And you did it, or are doing it. Pretty much, yeah. So to give you guys a little bit of a background on this one, it looks like this one is being coordinated by another podcaster, someone who I've not met yet, but I will introduce myself to this weekend, the Scary Dad podcast. They are a Houston podcast. It looks like they put this thing on themselves. I don't, I'm not aware of any, any like background or anything uh, in terms of like this being the first or the 10th or anything. I think this might be like let's just put on a show kids <laughs> you know? yeah that's what it seemed like yeah they also had the idea of we need to go outside we need to find a reason to go outside <laughs> it's very organic very like homegrown non-gmo festival like it's, <laughs> right. it's yep. just there <laughs> a free range festival yeah free range <laughs> festival <laughs> Um, It is the sort of thing where they are going to show a prodigious lineup of indie horror films, both shorts and features of all stripe, (laughs) (laughs) budget levels, etc. But they also have, and this is what I think might set it apart from, you know, just Sam's backyard and barn screenings of, (laughs) of, of movies, is that they have a pretty impressive slate of guests. They definitely do. And it's exciting to see. There seems to be a really big emphasis with the guests on guests from like horror B movies, which is really exciting. Uh, A lot of guests that have like made their careers just acting in just B movies, which like in larger festivals or the film industry as a whole kind of get like pushed aside as being like lowbrow or not important or anything. But B movies are really important for the horror genre. And there's a lot of actors that built their careers or started off by doing B movies. So to see movies like Sleepaway Camp, Slumber Party Massacre, Silent Night, Deadly Night, uh, Night of the the Demons. Yeah, the (laughs) monsters. That's really, really exciting to see them like celebrated in this festival. Yeah, and especially the fans of horror of course, horror fans are going to be big fans of the good AAA films, but they're also probably going to be more fans of these B films. And those fans are like the diehard fans, too, because like you can yeah. be like a casual fan of kind of like the bigger franchises. But with a lot of these films, like if you are a fan of one of these movies, you are like dedicated fan to these movies. Right. I think what you're talking about is maybe the, the kind of that line that gets drawn mentally between the people that are willing to go spend their money at the Cineplex to see Rob Zombie's Halloween versus the people that sort of live the horror lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You have some people who are deep in the hole of this convention, which is great. <laughs> Well, looking at what we have here, let's let's run down the guests um, first. 
Sure. One of the ones that I saw was uh, Tyler Mayne, who uh, is Michael Myers in the Rob Zombie Halloween films. And I know that the whole kind of anthology and the timeline of the Halloween movies is kind of all over the place. I don't even like fully understand it. A lot of people have walked in Michael Myers shoes for these movies, but uh, the Rob Zombie ones are pretty iconic. And especially with Rob Zombie, I think he just got uh, announced that he's going to do a Monsters reboot as a movie. No kidding. Uh, Yeah, directed by Rob Zombie, which is crazy. That's going to be dark. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, But I'm really glad to see like Rob Zombie, like, you know, Rob Zombie's always been such like a, a kind of like b-movie horror icon but i would love to see him hit the mainstream in that way so the rob zombie horror movies uh halloween movies rather are pretty iconic so it's exciting to see him there and the other one that i was really excited about was felisa rose from sleepaway camp Mm. and she's also in terrifier 2 she is also in terrifier 2 which hasn't come out yet but is on the horizon but uh, I've she goes to a lot of horror conventions and I've heard nothing but amazing things about her. But she's like the nicest person in the universe. And she's one of those actresses that's kind of just known for sleepaway camp. Like that's her one big thing. But it hasn't like darkened her view on going to conventions or kind of being known for just this one role. She totally embraces it and loves talking to horror fans about this this very beloved B-movie uh, and seemingly never gets tired of it. <laughs> I really commend her for that. She's such a rock star and it's exciting to see her there i bet i am in the range of say twice as old as you guys and (laughs) (laughs) and so i am from the vhs era when Mm. things were available but not like they are now obviously where you could watch any one of these people's movies at any time you want just for wanting it you know but back (laughs) back in my day um (laughs) you had a vhs tape and that was it and so you kind of wore it out and uh the weird thing is uh the the reason i bring that up i suppose is is that sleepaway camp one out of all of that bunch is one of those movies that got a surprising (laughs) amount of rotation on my on my Mm. uh, list so i've seen sleepaway camp one out of the out of the trio i've seen that one the most yeah, it's, ah. I mean, it's pretty iconic. And it's like, it's interesting that of all of these version of B-movies that we got throughout like the 80s and early 90s, and this is really the one that stood the test of time. I think for good reason. I think it's hilarious and a ton of fun uh, and really campy, no pun intended. But ah. it's it's exciting to see people still getting excited about her because she seems awesome. And it's great that she's going to be in Terrifier too because the first Terrifier is a much celebrated kind of like indie horror movie. Uh, to, so to know that she's, I don't know if she's cameoing or if she has like a prominent role in the next one. Uh, that's really exciting. I'm excited to see her in that. I can't say that I've seen Terrifier. Oh, mm. it is a must see. We had the man who plays Art the Clown in that film on our podcast. And yes. it is a trip and a half, that movie. And the sequel looks to be even crazier. Yeah, it's a really fun indie horror movie. Insanely gory. Like, off the wall kind of gore but absolutely uh, it is a, it's a ton of fun and david howard thornton who uh we were fortunate to have on our show and plays art the clown is just this like off the wall terrific horror villain actor i don't know how to describe it when he talked to us in the show he talked about uh how some of his like film inspirations for like playing these characters as he said like that he worked with uh stefan carlson who used to play robbie rotten in lazy town and like that's <laughs> It's like yeah. you kind of see that 
in his performance of this like cartoon character, but also horrifying. <laughs> it's so it really looks great. Like F- Felissa Rose is playing a character named Ms. Principe in Terrifier 2, okay. which if that's not a main character name, I don't know what is. Just being yeah. named Mrs. Principal sounds like <laughs> it looks right. like she's going to be pretty big. Senior yeah. main one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> protagonist. Well, it looks like they have a, let's see, they have a several of the uh, Rob Zombie Halloween. A lot uh, of alumni, yeah. Yeah, cast members. And also one, uh, Daniel Harris being one that crossed over between boots. If you if one is a boot, yeah. one is a reboot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's interesting to check out what they're up to. There's some cool uh, actors who were like in horror films as kids and have kids, now like, carried yeah. on as an adult. Uh, like well, one of them being Butch Patrick, who played Eddie Munster, but more so uh, Oliver Robbins, who was Robbie in the original Poltergeist and Poltergeist 2. He was the son that gets attacked by the clown, which traumatized me as a child. Yep. There's also Miko Hughes, who, yes. to cut you off, was Gage in the original Pet Cemetery. And he Which, was also Joseph like, in Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> <laughs> that his role in in Pet Cemetery that was one of the first horror movies I ever saw. For whatever reason, my dad was like, you know, it's a good starter horror movie, Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. <laughs> so, he gets Judd's tendon. Oh, it's so bad. Oh yeah. That's, Caroline can't like dangle her feet off the bed. She only <sighs> has to li- leap off the bed because she's sure that little Gage is down there. <laughs> I like that because we've established a little bit before the podcast that it's because y'all have kids, which I like that idea because it's not Gage. It's one of your children. (laughs) (laughs) going to get you. That's hilarious. Uh, It really, like, his role in this movie really scared me as a kid. I have to imagine now, like, as an adult looking back, how much fun it would have been on set for him to be like, ooh, I'm the villain in this horror movie and I'm four or whatever. Like, that's that had to be a fun day on set. Yeah, how much fun it must be now to go to these cons and be like, yeah, that's right. I'm the reason you jump off the bed. The the organizers (laughs) of this, the Scary Dad podcast, um, they have on their YouTube channel an interview with Oliver Robbins and they spend an Mm. hour talking to the guy about you know what he's been up to lately because I guess he he went to film school and became a, a filmmaker in his own right but they do talk about the set of Poltergeist and what's interesting to hear about all that is the persisting perception that Steven Spielberg ran that set and Toby Hooper was there because there was some contractual deal that prevented Spielberg from being able to direct it um, mm. and he mm. kind of fills in some of the gray area there saying that yes Spielberg was there and he did have a lot of creative input but Toby Hooper definitely was directing that movie that that makes a lot of sense from just the tone and like I mean just how good the movie is that Spielberg had some uh, <laughs> influence there but but not as much as we thought <laughs> <laughs> There's so many wild stories from the Poltergeist set. I mean, between all the corpses flooding the house uh, scene and just other stuff that happened on the set of that movie, I think it would be awesome to talk to him about his experience on set and what filming a movie of that caliber was like. I talk about movies and TV with, well, anybody really, because that's (laughs) the only thing that I really want to talk about. I don't want to talk about small talk or or anything yeah. else but if you can <laughs> if we can find some common ground you know with media then we can probably talk for the rest of the day but if it comes around to horror movies poltergeist that's my number one for in the horror genre what about mm-hmm. you guys 
Yeah, I mean, Poltergeist mm. is pretty high up there for me. Poltergeist is up there with my number one. Reanimator is, I think, probably my number one, number one. Just because I love how both like insanely gory and dark, but also how incredibly campy and funny it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would probably be like if I had to had to pick, that would probably be my number one. My whole thing is that I am a recent convert to the horror cause. Okay. Uh, so I still think that one of my favorites is the original The Conjuring, which is kind of the first horror film that I saw that I was like, oh, I'm not going to have nightmares tonight. I'm just very spooked out. Uh, and I didn't see that until I was like 16. So it took me a little while. But honestly, all of these 80s high camp movies that Adam forces me to watch, I'm just in love with that moment in time and like thinking about how much fun it must have been to make all of those. I would like to bring up Danielle Harris is also a guest here. She yeah. was in Halloween 4 and 5 and the Rob Zombie Halloween. She was also in Hatchet 2 and Hatchet 3, which I didn't know that they made a film adaptation of that book we all had to read in middle school <laughs> about the child who gets lost in the woods. I think that's what And it I is. think that that's a really good really good thing for kids is that the sequel to hatchet by gary paulson is that a big man with a hatchet comes and kills you i think <laughs> that's probably what it is it, it you know for kids with, with short on imagination you need to yeah. sometimes provide a visual cue so to, to kind of unlock yeah, you, the you literature them with the survival <laughs> the survival novel in sixth grade and then they graduate and they have to watch hatchet too <laughs> in which a man with a hatchet kills everyone. When I was in, I think, 10th grade, we were reading Frankenstein as part of my English class. And that was the same year as that movie, I, Frankenstein, came out. So uh, without, like, doing any research on Daniel the movie... Radcliffe? I think so, yeah. Uh, without doing any research on the film, my English teacher was like, oh, once we finish reading, we'll go watch it. And we went to watch it, and it had nothing to, like, barely anything to, <laughs> do, to do with, with the book Mr. Frankenstein. And it was, and it was terrible. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Public school? <laughs> yeah, basically. She was like, it'll probably be Frankenstein. I'll be like, you know, we were a bunch of, like, honors, 10 kids who, like, yeah. terrorized uh, our my teacher every day, that, and she was like, you know what, if you finish the book, we'll go to the movies. <laughs> that was really <laughs> the only purpose. My version of that was studying bees in third grade and then getting to go see the bee movie. That's so, at least, I feel like, a little a more tangentially related. Well, well, <laughs> not really. It seems almost <laughs> less so. Yeah, I guess. We could also talk about this film schedule because some of these, I'm kind of obsessed with one of them just in my short time today of of kind of researching these. If you have the chance tomorrow, yeah, see Bad Candy. It just seems wild from start to finish. There's a very scary horned clown on the poster for this and people with uh, pumpkins for heads. One of the leads in it is Zach Galligan, who was Billy in right. the original Gremlins. Exactly, yes. Right. And, and the other guy is in Slipknot, right? I saw that while I was researching. This seems like the perfect movie to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this movie came out last year uh, and was directed by Scott B. Hansen. It's an anthology movie. From what I've read of the reviews, and it's not too many because I don't think it's been had too many screenings yet, but apparently the practical effects are off the chain, which is like something that is really exciting to me in a horror movie. I love practical effects. And especially for an indie horror movie that does not really have the budget to play with as many practical effects as maybe a big studio movie would, mm -hmm. uh, to, to see them like dedicate 
kind of like know the horror genre well enough to dedicate part of their budget and the time they spent on the set to like kind of perfecting practical effects is I think a huge plus. And that's, I think is also exciting about this uh, screening lineup is it's a lot of, I mean, there's a couple of like uh, big screenings with some Q and A's after, but there's also, there's a lot of indie films, a lot of short films. Like uh, speaking of Oliver Robbins, uh, a movie that he directed and stars in is doing a screening with the Q and A with him after it's called celebrity crush. Uh, and it's about a horror film fanatic who kidnaps the star of her favorite 80s horror film. So kind of like a Stephen King's like misery sort of situation. Also an episode of iCarly, interestingly enough. I guess, I guess yeah. <laughs> that one looks really, really exciting. And he's going to do a, a Q&A after. And I love that as kind of like a child who is in horror films to to grow up and then go on to direct horror movies uh i think is is really nice yeah it'd be interesting to dive into that psyche uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> really just like implanted it really young right seems like you have some unfinished business here yeah. <laughs> i know that i'm going to make an effort to see all the features that i can see and a mm-hmm. smattering of the shorts as well as you can see from the lineup yeah, the schedule is very stringent, and there don't doesn't appear to be any like doubles. Uh, it's like yeah, you, you miss it once and, it, and it's gone. Uh, and there's a lot of good looking shorts. Uh, there's a couple that I I pulled just to to uh, research that are wild. Uh, one is called The Fuzzies that was released in 2019 uh, by director Josh Funk, uh, which is this really cool looking combination live action slash stop motion short film about a man it all says on the imdb is about a man who finds something in his bathroom but the poster is these sesame street like muppet style puppets and the all the trailer has all this kind of like stop motion fuzz like crawling across the floor and i think like it's hard to make something like this straight horror as opposed to horror comedy so i'm excited to see like what this does which direction it chooses to go in because the trailer it was short but seems to be kind of like straight horror and i think the stop motion kind of helps with that because it's very unsettling (laughs) (laughs) the way the fuzz moves yeah there's like a interesting crossover in in recent media with kid stuff and horror like what was it the yeah. the banana splits movie that recently yeah. came out yeah my kids used to watch the banana splits reruns that's from like the 70s and they mm-hmm. would replay it on TV and cuz my kids are they like muppety kind of things yeah so, yeah dance splits were great yeah yeah so we watched anything that had a guy in a suit basically and, <laughs> <laughs> and so to see it remade as a horror movie was was like kids you're not watching that <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I, I really liked the Vanessa Woods movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's not like Citizen Kane, but it's a really fun watch. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of that has to do with stuff like Five Nights at Freddy's, which yeah. has exploded like in popularity amongst especially kids ages like 11 to 15. So that niche pocket of horror is very profitable right now. And it's actually where the Banana Splits movie came from, is that I believe it was supposed to be Five Nights at Freddy's movie until I think it's... uh, I can't remember if it was 20th Century Fox or Universal that made the Banana Splits movie, but they lost the rights to Five Nights at Freddy's. And they were like, okay, let's just do it with with the Banana Splits. Ah, interesting. Which was an incredible pull for them. It yeah, kind of really. Enhances it. I, I mean, you you talked earlier about, you know, that VHS horror culture 
and it comes out a lot in shorts and and shorter features this harkening back to analog horror or even analog media children's shows and old movies that now looking back seem creepier just because they were on four by three little crt monitors that blasted your face with electrons all day like (laughs) that is truly kind of made a made a comeback in the zeitgeist of current culture and the cool thing like adam said about shorts especially horror shorts at a place like this is at a lot of film festivals you'll get shorts that are uh, thought-provoking and interesting and and make you think artistically but when you're at a horror film festival some of them will definitely do that but others will just be a showcase of filmmaking skill like interesting effects and just like having fun in a theater watching you know a 20 minute short more of, of a, more of a of demo kind of, of best of, works of yeah <laughs> rather yeah than exactly right I think a lot of horror nowadays is using a lot of nostalgia, especially like 80s and early 90s nostalgia as as kind of a, a selling point. I'm thinking of that one that just came out on Shutter Psycho Gorman, which really like you can see kind of the 80s kind of I think Stranger Things is kind of to blame for this. Uh, that's a blame to thank for this. Um, put a positive spin <laughs> on blank. it. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> but uh, I like Psycho Gorman has a really kind of strong 80s influence that you can see when you're watching the the movie and even in all the horror posters that we're seeing nowadays we've kind of gone back to the i'm thinking of like the poster that's like everybody like a lot of main characters in the movies kind of like faces and pictures of them faded into each other like that has that poster style has kind of made a comeback i'm thinking of like the star wars posters right i was thinking of the same um but I think like there's so much influence from from the 80s that is coming back in in horror right now. And we see that in some of the short film lineup too uh and some uh the the features as well. There's one called Overkill came out in 2019 that was directed by Alex Montilla uh who also directed Hot Tub Time Machine. Yes. <laughs> uh which is really exciting. Um and it's a short film that combines like takes 80 slasher tropes and is also kind of like the Looney Tunes because the whole concept is that it's this group of like teens or young adults being hunted by a killer and they have to outsmart the killer because the killer cannot die in like a Wile E. Coyote like Roadrunner situation. So it takes stuff like Halloween and Jason Voorhees of like, oh, the unkillable horror villain, but turns it into like a Roadrunner thing with like Pratt Falls and, and, and like literally stabbing them in the head and they can't die and kind of turns it on its head like that, which looks super funny and really exciting. You know, going back to your point about the nostalgia, um, this past weekend, uh, we covered an event called ATX uh, Television Festival in Austin. It was a virtual mm-hmm. uh, festival. And one of the final panels that we covered was uh, horror anthologies. The panelists included Greg Nicotero, who was there with uh, Creep Show, which mm. in and of itself is a is a throwback to the eighties. Mm-hmm. But they also had the showrunner for uh, Netflix's Slasher. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the showrunner for an upcoming reason that I'm mentioning it. <laughs> it's another <laughs> anthology show called VHS ninety four. Her name is Chloe Okuno. There isn't much to find on that just yet, except that it will be what we're talking about, essentially. Um, yeah. Anthology with that sort of retro nostalgic flair. I love anthology horror movies. Uh, some of my favorite, like Trick or Treat, Creep Show. They're so good. 
Well, it was, it was interesting. The host went around the room, and or the virtual room, if you will, because it was Zoom, and mm-hmm. asked the various panelists their sources of inspiration. And Greg Nicotero, being who he is, he dug way back, you know, Mm. Nosferatu, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the showrunner for Slasher and, and uh, the the one I just mentioned, Chloe, uh, they're much younger. And their inspirations, I don't know if they were licking boot or what, but they said Creepshow 2. They were specific <laughs> enough to say Creepshow mm. 2. So if you go back and look at Greg's IMDb, you'll notice what was one of his first jobs? Creep show too. <laughs> Not creep show yeah. one, mind you. <laughs> Not the first one, but everybody knows the second one. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was but they seemed earnest about it. And um the moderator really wanted to talk to Greg a lot. Um mm. and Greg being uh an old guy had a lot to say, but it was all good. And he did uh I think his first job ever was doing special effects makeup on Day of the Dead. Right. Uh, which is, that's that's a, wow. <laughs> that is like really implanting yourself in the horror genre forever. Well, when one of the main subgenres is zombies and you work with basically the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the guy isn't alive anymore, then you're sort of like an acolyte. You know, you're like. The the priest now of yeah <laughs> of that subgenre pretty much did anything else catch your eye there is one um, feature that they're showing on Sunday that is the very last one that they're going to show called the rideshare killer and that one is interesting in that Eric Roberts I don't know that he headlines it but he's the biggest name in it um, okay yeah. okay. He stars in it. It's not the one with Steve Harrington in it. But it's, right. It's, I was just about to say, I just saw that one. It sounds kind of like a similar deal, though. Spree, which is the one uh, with uh, with Joe Curie in it, Steve Harrington, uh, that was the first of that kind of genre or, like, I guess, niche of horror movies that I had ever seen. Um, so I'm definitely into more of them we don't play with rideshare stuff in horror right now even though it's such a big part of our life and there's a lot of like app-based horror movies now Mm, too yeah um so i think that all kind of like falls into this like okay what kind of new kind of modern thing can we play with that we haven't played with in a horror movie before and i think that's that's cool i'm definitely into seeing more of this (laughs) right like dating apps gone wrong yeah uh, you know kind of thing make it scary for for 2021 for for now you know movies that may or may not age well but are so of the moment are kind of bread and butter and that's not a bad thing yeah exactly that's a really good point there are identifiable phases i guess that 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 right. horror goes through where everything is of that thing and then nothing is of that thing after yeah. yeah i mean they always reflect on like what americans are afraid of when the movie comes out so like why in the 50s and 60s were all horror movies about aliens and monsters so we were afraid of radiation we were afraid of, of communism we were afraid of people invading our country our quote air quote and the 80s was slashers so we were afraid of you know darkness lurking in our own neighborhood and, and the safety of the suburbs right. the moral majority yeah exactly and now uh if we start to get these kind of like we get a lot of tech-based horror now, you know, like, oh, we are afraid of, you know, the technology taking hold of us or or overruling us or somebody we meet online not 
being the person that we thought they were. Um, so horror is always going to reflect, you know, what audiences are afraid of. And uh, sometimes we continue to be afraid of that thing for years and years to come. You know, slashers will always be scary. You know, people coming into your house and <laughs> trying to murder you, always frightening. Uh, but some of them become less scary as time goes on. But great for the moment. Well, how do you explain the, uh, what were we scared of? Uh, scared. <laughs> what are you scared of? <laughs> what, were, what were we afraid of with the found footage era of mm. of uh, horror film? Yeah, I think found footage really taps into um, so like because a lot of found footage uh, horror movies were kind of at their peak when the internet was also kind of really becoming exploding a thing. YouTube right. as well. Yeah. Um. So I think that like film directors kind of playing with that. And playing with kind of like leaving leaving your mark sort of digitally, like proof that something happened or, or proof that something once existed in, in a time when suddenly everything was being recorded. And the kind of resurfacing of lost media that, mm-hmm. you know, some tragedy happened 10 years ago, but we just found this footage is the same kind of idea of, well, we now have the Internet. If something horrible happens, we're going to know about it. Yeah. Um, same thing with true yeah, crime, too. So that kind too. of discovery. As, mm. as true crime became of... very popular as a, as a genre, that's also kind of when found footage uh, began to take off, too, uh, as people like really began to enjoy solving like mysteries or thinking that they could solve the mystery, uh, <laughs> even if it was a particularly gruesome one. So it's sort of like a combination of uh, accessibility to information, the permanence of, of what gets uh, recorded, and even accessibility to the to the technology allowing you to do it all being wound up together. Yeah, I totally think so. Because it started with, I think, Blair Witch. And, mm-hmm. and that would be kind of like the tail end of when that kind of technology wasn't openly available to everybody. Because uh, they were just using little digital cameras, which, you know, you get Best Buy, whatever. Yeah. Um, but then after that is pretty much phones and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And found footage is a great entryway for for indie filmmakers, too, because found footage movies tend to be pretty cheap. Blair Witch was an indie movie, so uh, using it as an opportunity for, like, an indie filmmaker to make it into the mainstream with, like, a really good, cheaply made, but really good found footage horror movie. Always welcome. Always great. (laughs) And that gets us back to what what we're doing with this film fest is, like I mentioned, this is the first one that I know of that's in person in my area, and that might be, like, Texas, (laughs) (laughs) Texas, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, this year or since the pandemic. And I think what we're seeing on this list are people with whose movies had terrible timing and nobody saw as a result because no one could see anything for the past year. Yeah. And and so we're, we're getting a chance to let people show their work, which is, you know, I went to art school and so... Uh, what you get spoiled in art school because people see your work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then after that, no one gives a shit. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Devin and I both went to drama school, so yes. we get it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I think especially now, kind of, you know, like for the past year and a half, like big budget studios like Disney and Universal could not get people to see their movies at normal numbers because nobody was going to the movie theater. Um, so even if this is a small festival or, or, or a festival with indie movies, smaller movies, short films, it's still incredibly kind of important for these filmmakers to have a place where people can come and sit 
and see their work and then talk to them about it. You know, they don't just watch it on a website and then think about it later just to be able to come up to somebody after you watch their film and be like, hey, I really enjoyed that. Or, hey, I have questions about this. That's really important for for indie filmmakers. And I'm like thrilled to see that those opportunities are back. Uh, Me too. I mean, this is, I've been to television festivals and that's interesting because TV people almost never get direct feedback and they're Mm. always very thirsty for it. But this is my first like film festival like this. And it's actually my first horror festival at all. I've been to genre, like comic festivals, you know, conventions, but, and you get horror people there because they have such a limited diet of what they can get to in person that they'll go to that, even though it's not, not really their thing. So this is my first focused (laughs) (laughs) Uh, horror fest have you guys attended anything like this uh no never before i mean uh our area doesn't do a lot like at least a lot of the big name horror conventions aren't really in our area i've been to to cons and conventions before but like multimedia cons like comic con and anime next and stuff but a smaller kind of con like this is, is very exciting to me to kind of have that like one-on-one being able to to talk to people is really great. Uh, and it was something that I would love to go to one day. I think they'll start to come back. There seemed to be a cutoff date just mentally or something where convention organizers needed to pull the trigger on whether or not they were going to rent the space or not. And it seemed like now was that time when they decided, okay, whatever, we're just going to do it. And and uh, so from now till the end of the year, things that were virtual last year or skipped last year are coming back for, yeah. in large part. Whereas seemingly before right now, like maybe a week ago, that wasn't the case. They decided to go virtual. I don't know if you've seen similar things elsewhere. Definitely around. And, and, and like, it's nice that even like during the time when we couldn't go to things in person, that there were a lot of efforts to make things virtual and accessible to people. Um, but a lot of people still chose to like sit them out in favor of like, oh, I'd rather wait until I can do it in person to get the full experience and stuff. Uh, and I hope that a lot of those kind of virtual experiences do continue for nothing if for the sake of people that can't get to cons or can't get to certain places for whatever reason, uh, to be able to have access to that is great. Like that ATX festival that I've mentioned, they normally do that in person. And they attempted to do the in-person festival virtual last year. So they crammed everything into three or four days. And it was, I think, tough for them to manage. They, a lot of a lot of what they had invited bowed out because they didn't want to do it or whatever. But then they got other content that was surprisingly good that they may not have gotten had they done it in mm. person. Uh, the festival's held in Austin, Texas. So you got to get people that are normally either, you know, New York, Georgia or, or L.A. to come to Austin. You know, people don't not like Austin. They'll want to come, but if they're busy, they can't come. So one of the panels they got that they I don't think they would have gotten was they got every director of the Mandalorian first season to, wow. to show up. So oh, wow. Taika and John Favreau and Bryce Dallas Howard and the others, they were all there on, on the zoom call, answering questions and, and uh, talking to each other. And that was kind of awesome. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's something that probably could have never, ever happened in person. So no, I don't think so to get all those people on, on a single day to be in the same place at the same time. That's not LA. Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's a, yeah. what an incredible panel. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool. But 
you know, in, in the second year of doing the festival, they spread it out over a week and made it so that you never had to miss anything. You never had to really miss work to see anything. And so you got to see pretty much everything you wanted. And they had this pretty robust video on demand aspect. So if you had a if you had a pass, you had to log into this website and you could watch panels that had already aired and say if that panel had a screening as part of the uh, of the panel, you could watch whatever it was, even if that show had not come out on regular TV yet. You could nice. watch what they had brought, yeah. which was kind of cool. Yeah, that's 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 great. And like, I would hate for those opportunities to like be forgotten about just because we're going back to being in person for stuff. Uh, like that level of accessibility is something that we need, kind of just throughout the film industry and the convention industry. Uh, so I hope people do hold on to those. Yeah, me too. Because things like that, where they offer multi tracks, uh, and you're forced to pick and choose. You know, do I want to go? see you know the breaking bad panel or do i want to go see the ray liotta tribute i'm not sure i kind of like both you know <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> see that's a callback to the b movie because in that one ray liotta has branded honey exactly right <laughs> comes exactly back around right. <laughs> good call good call well, guys, it has been a lot of fun talking to you about this today. Uh, you've given me some things to look forward to, especially in the shorts, because like I mentioned offline, I don't dig so deep into the filmmakers in the horror genre that I know what to be excited for when it comes to like their more personal work, which is probably what you'd, yeah. you'd find in, mm -hmm. in, in shorts like that. So definitely some things to look forward to on that end. If you have any uh, other words of advice or encouragement uh, before I head off into the uh, black <laughs> sunset of a... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just have an excellent time. Stay safe when you've been be in a big crowd of people and stuff. Uh, have a wonderful time. I definitely tell us uh, what you see and how they were. Uh, if you see Felisa Rose, tell her that we said hi. <laughs> <laughs> the Great American Scream says hi. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that we love her. Like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of on that same, you know, short thing, go watch every short you have time for. They're so much fun and they're short. If you don't like it, it's only going to last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Good. <laughs> <laughs> right. I have a distaste for this one. Oh, it's over. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. Well, good advice. Well, thanks for your time today, guys. I will definitely take that advice. I will, uh, just in case anyone was wondering, they are socially distancing the screening rooms. So they do only have room for 30 or 40 people per viewing. So they are not just, um, even though this is Texas, they, they are not <laughs> They are not just going to throw us in there. And, and <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, and they are encouraging masking to the extent that you can encourage Texans to do anything. Um, yeah. they're, going fair, to, yeah. they're going to insist, but I don't expect that I'm going to see what I'd call 100% compliance. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's just life here. Um, but anyhow, thanks for your time today, guys. And uh, I, I will definitely check back in with you after it's all done and uh, compare notes and let you know it, how much taller Tyler Maine is than, yeah. than a normal sized person. Yeah, really. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And have a wonderful time. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. 
Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.